Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your word again today, Lord, as we open it and read uh, about your um, calling of the Apostle Paul, Lord, we just pray that you will speak to our hearts, Lord, and Lord, make us to be witnesses as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So we last read in Acts 8, as for Saul, he made havoc in the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And in Acts 9, it begins, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was a zealous and angry Pharisee. He described himself as a Jew born in Tarsus, of Cilicia, but brought up in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel. In his own words, he was taught according to the strictness of their father's law and advanced in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of his fathers. Saul was zealous because he believed in his religion, the way he had been taught it. He was devoted because he wanted to please God and had invested his life and his career toward doing that. Saul was a rising star in the Pharisee ranks, probably with eyes on a reformation of some kind, which he would take the lead in. Saul was angry because this new sect, which seemed to begin with John the Baptist, was now getting much traction and drawing the Jewish people away from religion to a person called Jesus. And unexpectedly, after Jesus had been crucified, it was continuing on even stronger than ever. And in Saul's mind, the people of this, what he thought of as a sect, were spreading lies about Jesus being resurrected from the dead and someday coming back again to reign over Israel. And now it was almost out of control, so he had taken it upon himself to squash it, and that had become his obsession. He persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. That's what he said of himself in Galatians 1.13. But in doing so, he was seeing himself as obeying God's law and working for God. And he was wrong, of course. God's servants don't breathe threats and murder against people. 
But Saul had been deceived, deceived in his zealousness for God, and he was actually being controlled in that by evil forces. Entering the houses of Christians with arrest warrants for the occupants, he carried them bound to prison, whether men or women. In his zealous rage, he beat those who believed on Jesus and consented to their, to their deaths. As a Christian, then, you wouldn't have wanted to meet or to mess with Saul. He was the arch enemy. As he journeyed with his cronies on the way to arrest even more Christians in Damascus, he came near Damascus, and we read that suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground. Verse 4 in chapter 9 of Acts says, And heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul had been zapped with a light from heaven, probably the light of Christ glorified, who spoke to him personally, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul responded, Who are you, Lord? Lord, not as God, but, but as someone who deserved utmost respect, as Saul realized his life was in this one's hands. And then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So this is Saul, who the second before was certain that Jesus was dead and that all the resurrection accounts about him were a lie. Saul, who made it his purpose to shut up every mouth that proclaimed that Jesus was alive. And here he was speaking directly to the risen Jesus who said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, goads were spikes on the end of sticks used as cattle prods. That's the analogy that Jesus used to describe what Saul was doing to himself, kicking his, his bare toes into the pointed spikes of goads, hurting himself each time he persecuted these Christians. And that persecution Jesus also took personally. It was persecuting him. Well, hearing this from the living Jesus left Saul astonished and trembling and blinded. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What else could he say? He had been dead wrong about everything that he had been doing. These Christians that he had been abusing in the name of God were the just ones. His whole life, his whole purpose, his whole sense of righteousness had all been demolished in an instant. Continuing from verse 6 in Acts chapter 9, then the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. 
Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So for three days, the Lord Jesus left Saul alone to contemplate his life and his life's work, his sin and, and this experience. And here I say to those who don't put any stock in experience today, experience is what helped Paul and the other apostles to interpret the Old Testament properly because their experience was with the risen Lord and with the Holy Spirit. Without their spiritual experience, we would be lost today as Saul was, trying to understand God's word. God confirms and reveals his word through experience even today. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Reading that, I think Ananias must have been a, a wonderful Christian with a wonderful and intimate relationship with his Lord, seeing that the Lord could call him uh, anytime, just like that. And he was attentive enough to hear his voice and so ready and willing to carry out his orders that he could answer, here I am, Lord. I wish we had more Ananiases today. Back to verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And we see that sort of that same sort of thing happening a few times in Acts. In the last chapter, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And there he met a man from Ethiopia and shared the gospel with him and, and ended up baptizing him as he converted to Christianity. And, and we see it with, with Cornelius and Peter in the very next chapter as well. God uh, instructing in that way. Don't you, you wish that sort of thing would happen again today? I certainly do. Acts makes me very excited because I know it's the same Lord, the same Holy Spirit. Uh, back then as it is today, he can and will do it again. Verse 11, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So the Lord had already given this Saul in his blinded state while he was fasting and praying, waiting for these, waiting these three days, a vision of what was about to transpire. But with, with this revelation, Ananias uh, realizes what's being asked of him by the Lord. He was a Christian who was hated by the likes of Saul. He was likely top on Saul's list to be arrested 
in Damascus. And he is asked to go and lay hands on Saul, to lay hands on the baddest, meanest, most vicious man toward Christians that he knows of. Well, he could be beaten in prison or killed. So Ananias naturally answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias knew all about Saul. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Wow. It's no longer Christians, the Christians who will suffer at the hands of Saul. Saul will now be leading the way in suffering for Christ, for he is a chosen vessel of him. You know, I wonder how many people we know who are like Saul, who are mean, even harmful people that we don't want anything to do with because they are the absolute worst we could think of, our enemies and enemies of God, but just so deceived. And I wonder how many of them Christ may have chosen as his witnesses. Of course, we know major world religions are against Christians and go about persecuting them if they share the gospel on their turf and, and some promote and carry out capital punishment for proselytizing and converting to Christianity, thinking they are doing what is right. They, like Saul, are kicking against the goads. They are hurting themselves and hurting God in doing so. Imagine what must have been going on in Saul's mind ever since he had given his consent, consent to, to stoning uh, of Stephen, to the stoning of God's servant, Stephen. Saul had watched that spirit-filled man who was beaming with the love of God getting stoned to death and and giving nothing but love and forgiveness back to those who were doing the stoning. And how many more did Saul personally persecute to their deaths after Stephen with the same result? Maybe people like Saul are the ones we are to pray for most. They may be the ones who are closest to converting. They may be the ones who will someday be most effective in their witness afterward if they are like Paul and are doing it ignorantly and in unbelief. Maybe they are like that because God is at work in their hearts and they are ignorantly resisting him, irritated by the wounds they are causing themselves, and it gets worse and worse. Converted, Paul said, For this reason I obtained mercy, 
that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. I wonder how many Christians back then were, were praying for Saul. I think many were. Well, what about us? Are we praying for those like Saul? Do we even have faith for something like this happening? We may think our enemies are hopeless for the most part. In my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers writes this. The degree of hopelessness that I have for others comes from never realizing that God has done anything for me. Is my own personal experience such a wonderful realization of God's power and might that I can never have a sense of hopelessness for anyone else I see? Well, those early Christians, of course, had experienced God's power and might in very real and personal ways. Have we? If we have not, maybe that accounts for our degree of hopelessness for others. Well, there's another thing that weighs heavy in our degree of hopelessness for others, and that is the lack of victory in our own lives over sin. Whether personal sin known only to us and to God or sin in relation to others. If we don't have victorious Christian lives ourselves, how can we call others to join us? Chambers goes on in his questioning. Has any spiritual work been accomplished in me at all? Part of our lack of victory is that we still have confidence in our own flesh and in our own abilities. But the truth is, we are hopeless and helpless on our own. We can't even trust ourselves to do anything good. It's all God. But do I really believe that God will do in me what I cannot do? We cannot put any faith and trust in ourselves or in any other human being, only Jesus Christ. And again, Oswald Chambers writes this, our Lord never put his trust in any person, yet he was never suspicious, never bitter, and never lost hope for anyone because he put his trust in God first. He trusted absolutely in what God's grace could do for others. All of us have to get to that place as Christians if we want to be effective witnesses, effective in our service toward God. It's natural not to be there, but we have God's Spirit to get us there successfully. We have to depend on His Spirit. We have to pray. You know, even God's prophet Ezekiel had to get a lesson from God in that. Knowing who Israel 
was God showed him a vision and God asked him this vision of dry bones. Can these bones live? And I love his response. Oh, Lord God, you know. All we know is that it is impossible without God. But God said, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Ezekiel 37, 4 and 5. But do we have faith for that? Do we have faith to take God at his word when he speaks? Finally, some Christians have a third problem. They don't have any hope for others because they never realized the extent of their own depravity before God saved them. And therefore, they have no hope for those who they see as far worse than them. Again, Chambers says, when God wants to show you what human nature is like, separated from himself, he shows it to you in yourself. If the Spirit of God has ever given you a vision of what you are apart from the grace of God, and he will only do this when his Spirit is at work in you, then you know that in reality there is no criminal half as bad as you yourself could be without his grace. I ask you, has that ever happened to you? Well, I pray it does. It changes you. And after Saul was converted, he still said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Move on to verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Amazing. Well, no one is beyond the reach of God, of course. But growing up, I had the experience of having a neighbor who I thought was beyond the reach of God. He was so mean. But my parents knew different, differently. They had faith and they believed and prayed this wicked man into the kingdom of God. And 30 years later, I'm happy to say, this man is still faithfully serving the, serving the Lord, and he is a kind and generous man. Well, that gives me hope for my neighbors. 
But what about us? What about ourselves? God's word says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know, know it? That's from Jeremiah 17, 9. Jesus said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, false witness, blasphemies. But we say, no, not us. Not out of my heart. Once again, Oswald Chambers challenges us. And he calls what we call our innocence really our ignorance. He says, handing ourselves over to Jesus Christ only makes it that I don't have to experience all the possibilities of my heart. I love that. Don't think so highly of yourself, especially if you're a Christian. Just be thankful to Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can really show us that, can really show us all the possibilities of our hearts without Jesus. And that experience brings us to the deeper realization of all that Jesus has done for us personally. I pray he does that to every one of us so that we despair of no one. Because only then can we really witness about Jesus with faith in all he can do. That's what happened to Saul. That's how he became the great apostle Paul. And he could go on and say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. People, I want his grace toward you, toward all of us, to be not in vain. I want that grace to abound in our hearts so much that we want to share to others what God can do through Christ Jesus in to, to our hearts, to our beings, to our to everything about us, leading us by his spirit after he delivers us from sin. So so let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we do thank you that you are with us. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord, for all you did for the Apostle Paul. And Lord, we sometimes don't realize, most of the time we don't realize, Lord, what we are without you. Lord, I pray that you would show it to us very clearly so that we have no, no pride in our goodness, but only in yours, Lord, only in your, your redemption for us, your, your, your great work on the cross, taking away our sins. Lord, thank you for that, Lord, and, and help us by your spirit to be your witnesses to others, that they may know your grace as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.